This is the Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. And I'm Jacob Young. On the Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. Today, we're going to talk about virtual. Virtual as a dynamic for business, virtual for business leaders, virtual for every dynamic of how to lead a company. But I guess the first question, Paul, is what exactly is virtual? That's a good question, especially since we're going to talk about it. Well, I think there's a lot of, you know, abstract, there's virtual reality, you know, where we've we've heard of that term forever and the technology is starting to catch up. You know, we have the uh, new headsets that will allow us to uh, view virtual images and sort of immersive virtual experience. We'll be able to sit in a room and look around as we move our head and the image will move with us. We're not talking about that kind of virtualization. We're talking about really two today. One is the virtual office and the virtual worker and virtualization in the technology sense. So first we'll talk about, you know, virtual employees, if you will. If we had, if we'd go back 20 or 30 years and told our parents, you know, I work for a high tech company that's in San Francisco and I live in Boston. They're like, oh, are you part of their sales office or is it a different? No, I work out of my home. What? You work out of your home? I mean, there was the occasional salesperson who worked out of their home, had a phone and maybe worked out of their car really. But um, nowadays, this whole idea of virtual is, is, is really something that we have to come to terms with as business owners. Uh, and if you're a little bit on the older demographic, it's hard to imagine hiring somebody that you don't see every day. And how does that work? Well, technology really um, both enables that, but makes it possible. So we used to work on physical things, you know, making cars, digging ditches, stacking rocks, building a house. What? Stacking, <laughs> Stacking rocks. Stacking rocks. Yeah. Sorry. What's wrong with that? I just think it's funny to bring that up. <laughs> well, I, I, I always think of, you know, one of the things that technology cannot replace is a guy building a stone wall. Right. New England is full of stone walls. And it's really a testimony to all of the labor that was done. And if you, right. if you really take a keen eye while driving around New England, there's so many of them. Yeah. And yeah. they're hard to build. They're backbreaking. But now we push around bits. You know, which doesn't require really any strength. You, you move a mouse and you, you move a bit. And so we're in this sort of ethereal world where mm-hmm. we create things that have no substance. They're at best an idea or a concept or a number on a screen or a color on a screen or a pixel. Um, so I'm not talking about that virtualization, but the idea that we can have employees that work in different parts of the world. Uh, right now, I work with people that work in different towns you know, might be 10 miles away from me or 30 miles away or half the world away. And I have people that I'm working with actively in uh, the Philippines and we're in Boston and in India and in Europe and all sorts of things, Australia. And so now physicality doesn't really play into it. And so that's really the true virtual thing. And there's a lot of issues with that. One is how do you know they're actually working? How do you know they're not sitting there watching TV? And you know, in, in the past, you used to go to work, sit at a desk or stand at a uh, production line or whatever it was, and do a task over and over, and you would be judged on the output. Now, if you were smart enough and could figure out a way to automate that, they would say, great, and we'll give you a different job now that you have to do manually. So we really now, though, are measuring people on their output. So as we look at the virtualized person we measure them based on 
what they produce for the organization. There's also a personal ethics issue here. So I might be really good at solving the Rubik's Cube. Say that was my job. And you virtually assign me to say, uh, I want you to spend eight hours today solving the Rubik's Cube. And I do that in five minutes. And I say, uh, I solved it. Or I wait seven hours and 55 more minutes and say, I just solved that. Well, that's per- personal ethics. Um, somebody's paying you at your level of expertise to commit eight hours to Mm -hmm. a task two tasks whatever it is and once you go and achieve that task you go back to them and say hey i need more to do and so in the virtual world we have to deal with that Mm -hmm. in the in the physical world we would observe that and say what are you doing sitting around uh right you know hey we have other work we're here to do and you would direct them to do that in the virtual world you have to have systems uh systems that help remind them and say hey here's uh your tickets for today the things you need to accomplish today and feedback mechanisms because they may be able to do tickets one, two, and three really fast. And you've, you know, they do it in an hour. You basically have systems now where you say, I'm going to estimate that that's going to take me an hour. Right. And maybe at a half an hour, they reassess that and say, Yeah, I'm still on the hour. Um, but at a half hour, they realize, Well, this is a lot more complicated than I thought. It's going to take me 10 hours. And then that really brings to light the fabric of what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish and the level of investment that we're going to make for hopefully the return. Mm -hmm. And so once the person is out of your, like under your thumb, um, you need to be much more proactive about managing them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now that could be that you IM them every five minutes and say instant messenger, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? Well, that's not going to work. So you have to build a rapport. And a trust. And it's really what's happening is it's bringing a lot of jobs up to the white collar level mm-hmm. where you have to have an implicit trust of the person. They have to prove that they're worthy of that trust by producing things in a timely fashion. Right. Um, now, there is the option of having somebody to say, you know, I want you to do uh, this job. I want you to paint this thing um, or a paint isn't a very good example. I want you to write this article. And uh, I'm going to pay you for two hours to do that, whether it takes you 10 hours or it takes you one hour. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not an employee. Right. That's that's outsourcing. Right. And that's fine, too. Um, and some people like to work that way. But when you have a virtual employee, you need to have that management, that proactive management on them of them on a day in, day out basis. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? How are you doing? Are you hitting any roadblocks? And you also need to instill in them even more so is to get them to ask those questions back to you. Mm-hmm. So I like to say I want to have circuit breakers in place. Right. That when people are doing things, if they spend more than a half an hour trying to solve the problem. So let's say you had to type in 100 pages. You're not going to be able to do that in a half an hour. Right. It's going to take you whatever your rate is. You know, you could type a page an hour or whatever it is. It's going to take you that a certain X amount of time. But if you're sitting there saying, "I want you to, I want you to type in this uh, this hundred page document," and you're trying to figure out what word processor to use right. for more than a half an hour, yeah, we obviously have a problem. It wasn't either well defined enough, or you don't know something, or or what it is. So I want to put those circuit breakers in place with people to say, if you're spinning your wheels for more than a half an hour, you need to escalate right. and ask. And so managing virtual employees can be a challenge, but I think it's the new new normal. Right. Uh, very much so. And it is very interesting to observe more mature people 
that had basically older people dealing with this virtualization. Mm-hmm. How do you know they're working for you? Yeah. And it's really the proof is in the pudding. It's basically based on whether their output is there. Right. And in terms of virtual virtualization, virtual office, what are the technical components that build that sort of infrastructure within a company? Well, there's two major areas. One is sort of virtual infrastructure, and then we're going to also touch on something called virtualization okay. in, in computer technology and what that means and why it's important. But there's, first of all, you know, the virtual office, what does it need to have? Well, people have to have an internet connection. They have to have a way to communicate, both via instant messaging uh, or some sort of text, text-based messaging so that they can transfer thoughts in writing and they can be memorialized. You could use email for that. Um, email is great, but it's not interruptive, mm-hmm. so it doesn't interrupt somebody. Mm-hmm. It's not like walking into a room and saying, right. hey, I have a question for you. What do you think of this? Text, you know, instant messaging, uh, SMS uh, are very helpful in that. Um there's also phones, virtualized mm-hmm. phone systems. So, you know, when I pick up a phone in the old days, I could hit an extension and talk to somebody across the building. Right. So I want to be able to emulate that in my small business. Now, what's what's really happening right now is people are used to using their cell phones. Mm-hmm. So people just make cell-to-cell calls. And because cell phones, uh, typically the plan you get is unlimited calls. No, no, no yeah. employee complains about that. But a virtual, now another scenario here is somebody calls into your company. And you need to have a PBX, a private branch exchange, a phone switch. Well, they have virtual phone switches now. Yeah. So you buy a phone switch in the cloud. Somebody calls into that and presses a button and gets a dial-by-name directory, types in the extension, and then they get transferred to that person and their cell phone rings and they pick right. it up and they say, hey, you know, hello. Right. Um, and you could even do that with a sales or a customer service team. You could say, here's your cell phone. Um, you're going to get a call or a voice over IP phone. Somebody calls in, goes to customer support, and it rings the next available customer support person. Again, right. all virtualized. Right. That person goes offline. It automatically goes to the guy who's in London mm-hmm. or different time zones. Yeah. So that's one aspect of virtualization. Um, the the as I mentioned, you know, there's other tools coming out like Slack, where it allows you to have a converse an ongoing conversation about a topic sort of in a channel and you basically type in you know in words when we're working collaboratively on a project you would say um well we chose the color of the logo it's going to be red and you'd put right. that in there as opposed to burying it in an email right. that has no context there's no threaded context necessarily in an email right and so in in a, in a slack environment which is sort of like a discussion group you type in we've chosen the color of red and somebody says wait a minute i thought we agreed it was blue and you can yeah, have yeah. that discussion there and those tools are very useful. You can even post articles and, and yep. links to there. So now we're going to slip into, you know, we've talked about sort of business and virtualization, like a v- virtual PBX, mm-hmm. virtual um, storage. You know, you have online storage things such as Dropbox and Box right. and OneDrive and Google Drive. Now things are stored in this ubiquitous cloud. Mm-hmm. It's up there. Right. And that means you can get to it from anywhere. Mm-hmm. So that's the virtualization of it. Right. So the advantage of that is, is, you know, just a few short years ago, 10 years ago, we'd have a server that was in a building. Right. And if you had an office in Boston and Chicago, you might have a complicated system of replicating data between the two. Mm-hmm. That would get very slow because yep. the lines were very slow. 
And what you would end up doing is, is you'd save an email and then, or save a document and email it to somebody. They'd edit it and send it back. Now we tend to work on the, the actual copy of the document stored in a cloud. Yeah. A safe place where we can all work on it and collaborate on it. Even to the point now where we have Google Drive and Microsoft Office 365 where we can be working on the same document at the same time and seeing the other person typing the changes. Yeah. Which is really quite cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's taken us a while to get there. And then we're going to talk about this whole idea of virtual machines. And a long time ago, probably in um, 1986 or 1987, there was a company called, I think it was Insignia Software. And they came out with a piece of software called Soft PC mm-hmm. for the Mac. And what it was, it was a piece of software that emulated a PC. Hmm. And you could install Windows or DOS or whatever on a Mac. Hmm. And at that time, you know, most of the business applications were on PCs and they didn't have uh, versions that were on the Mac. So this software was very intriguing. It's like, wait a minute, I can have one physical piece of hardware on my desk. Right. And I can run the Mac OS and I can run a copy of Windows and I can run Excel. Right. Uh, well, actually, Excel was originally a Mac program, but you know, what, whatever PC program you needed, more maybe your accounting software. Right. And that was virtualization. So mm. what they did is they wrote a piece of software that was very fast and very slick, mm-hmm. very cool, that tricked Windows operating system or DOS into thinking it was running on uh, an Intel processor. Mm. And what was amazing about that is they were using Motorola processors at the time. Yeah. So they had to translate when somebody said, you know, draw to the screen using the Intel command to draw to the screen. They had to, in in software, translate to say, no, do it through the, mm-hmm. the Motorola uh, right. processor. And so that was the first experience. And it was just, it was, it was like, wow, this is really cool. Yeah. And, you know, fast forward um, a few years, a company came out, um, Connectix. Mm. They actually came out with the first webcam. That was what their their claim to fame was. They came out with Virtual PC, which was another thing on the Mac that allowed you to run a mm-hmm. virtual PC. So it was really cool that you could do these things. And it was mostly a toy, though. And then um, some smart guys got together that were working at Microsoft and left and started a company called VMware. Mm-hmm. And VMware was basically, they saw this idea of virtualization in the PC world as being something that they could do more with where you could buy a big piece of hardware, very expensive, high end machine server and run multiple virtual servers on that high end machine. Hmm. And they made a business out of that Hmm. from nothing. They went into that business. And since then there have been several virtualization technologies that have come out. Um, There's one by Microsoft called hyper V uh, there's a couple of others, one that Oracle bought up. Um, there's some open source ones as right. well. And what they do is allow you to install an operating system in a virtual environment. Okay. So what does that mean? If I go down to the store and buy a computer from Best Buy, if I buy a Mac, I can install Mac OS on it. If you're clever, you can actually install Windows on it because now they run Intel chips. Right. Um, and that's fine. And if you're if you're like me and you customize it a lot, and you then you install Office and you install this and you install this screensaver and uh, this other program and all sorts of programs on it, you get it just the way you want. 
and you go out and drop it. Right. Okay, well, if I had a backup, I can go get a new one and restore that backup. In the virtual environment, I can take and install it all, have everything just the way I want it, and then I can make a clone of it. Now that, because it's just a file on a hard drive. Right. Okay, does that make sense? It's just a file on a hard drive with all that configuration Mm -hmm. and information in it. So I can duplicate that and, hmm, maybe I could give it to you. Right. And now all of a sudden you have my environment. Right. The way it is. Or maybe my corporate standard desktop. I install Word, I install uh, Office, and I install all the different tools that I want. Right, right. So that's sort of cool. That, that's really nice. And for a long time, I personally have been using virtualization on my desktop. So when I had to do testing and I had to test in an old version of Windows or uh, had a special browser, I would create a virtual machine, install it all, yeah, and then install the old version of Chrome on that and use it. Well, then I got the bright idea, why don't I just install a machine, put nothing on it, and then clone that. Then install Google on that or mm-hmm. the old Internet Explorer on it to test right, right. with. So that was great. So that's how developers use that virtualization technology all the time Yeah, uh, to do that. The um, Then it became, well, wait a minute. What can we do to make this part of, could we run a desktop on it? Mm-hmm. So it becomes the idea of, can I set up a virtual machine that somebody, wherever they are, can connect to and do their work on. Well, of course, they're going to need an internet connection. If they don't have an internet connection, they can't get to the machine. But what does it afford me? Well, I can create one image and then clone it for 100 people. Mm -hmm. And I can then give them the credentials and they can remotely connect and they have everything configured. I can lock it down so they can't change anything. I can even, excuse me, I can even lock it down where they can't take any data off of the machine. Mm -hmm. So security is a thing there. So um, what you have is a lot of companies come with VDI or virtual desktop initiatives. Right. Um, And um, VMware supports that. Right. But they're a little bit now, they've been around for a long time. Now they're a little bit less innovative because they make software that is installed on hardware. Okay. Software that allows you to virtualize things. Mm -hmm. So... If I want to do that, I'm a corporate manager, IT manager, and I say, I want to virtualize all my desktops, I got to go to Hewlett Packard or IBM and say, I need a big beefy server, a lot of hard drive space, a lot of memory, and a big internet connection, and I need to go to VMware and pay their licensing fee, Right. and then I have to install 100 copies of Windows, or one copy and clone it. Right. So, in the natural world, where, where you know... The next person eats the next person, you know, like in the fish, every in the in the, yeah, yeah. In the ocean, everything eats the 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 whole food chain. People like Amazon have come out with cloud-based virtualization. Okay, so you can go to Amazon, their Amazon Web Services, and mm-hmm. say, "I want a virtual machine." Within minutes, you can have a virtual machine that they have cloned from one of their images. Right. It can either have Office or not, and it can have. Um, just no office if you want it and have that up and running you could hand that to a person and say okay here's where it is you then connect that to your corporate cloud storage right and they're up and running in minutes wow i didn't have to go to the store i didn't have to buy anything i pay for it month to month right and i have zero risk because now if that machine gets lost well how does it get lost because it's in the cloud yeah 
So I buy them an inexpensive laptop with a decent screen. They connect to the internet and they use that remotely. Right. So that's what virtualization is and really how you can apply it. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is it's a little expensive. Yeah. A virtual machine, a virtual desktop at Amazon is about $75 a month. Oh, wow. Okay. So calculate that out. That's $750 plus $150. So it's $900 a year. Yeah. So if I go to Best Buy and buy a machine, I still got to buy a machine. Mm-hmm. But I could buy a cheaper one. So I'm going to spend 400 as opposed to 700 But I still got to spend 400 So now... And that'll last two, three years. Right. So it's $130 a year. So now my 900 goes to 1000 right. bucks a year to supply this person with that. Now, the $75 comes with a license for office, which is otherwise $100 a year. Mm-hmm. So if I go out and buy a $700 machine, add the license for office for three years, that's $1,000. And the Amazon solution is a thousand a year. I just spent a thousand dollars on a physical machine. Now, if the person drops the machine, I got to have somebody service it. I've got to right. have an IT guy potentially come in and install everything for me. So let's say that's five hundred dollars. So the doing it yourself, buying a machine is fifteen hundred dollars, which will say lasts three years. Doing it the Amazon way is three thousand, so it's still twice as much. Right. Now, I'm sure they have rhetoric and why it's better, and it is backed up and all that. But those are some of the things that you could do. Um, You could also buy a very high-performance machine Mm -hmm. that performs on demand as you need it to. Right. So that's another option that you could do is you need a fast, fast machine. You can do it on that cloud uh, virtual machine and do that. Um, virtual machines are good for just about everything. Yeah. One of the things they're not very good at is audio and video editing. Right, right. You're going to need to have a high-performance machine locally to you. And um, that's where you need to go out and spend money on a machine. Gotcha. So that's sort of virtualization. Um, and it should be something that we should consider. Um, it's great for employees that you may have that are virtual. Mm-hmm. Because they need access maybe to some files that you don't want to ship them all the files. Yeah. So we have one client that has about 30,000 images that they need to work with in a web environment. Well, and it's 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 huge. I mean, it's like three. It's like a terabyte of information. Right, right. So if I say I start a new person, am I going to send them a terabyte hard drive? And now I've lost control of those. So no, we provide a virtual machine where they browse in. Right. They can get to that virtual machine. They have all the assets they need. And I didn't lose any control of those videos or pictures. If a company is looking to go virtual, it seems like, and I think you alluded to this earlier, there are going to be dynamics of going virtual that are going to grate against our expectations of a life within the office. So you can't just go knock on somebody's door just say, I have a question about this. Right. There's going to be some sort of uh, give and take in terms of what are you giving up by going virtual? Uh, can you walk us through uh, ideas of how to set expectations for that or what are uh, understood sacrifices in going virtual for an office? Right. Well, I think that the that what you're addressing is the culture, you yeah. know, and, and how do you maintain culture? And I'll give you just a little insight about maybe this is 2016, 10 or 12 years ago, uh, maybe even 15, I started working virtually with people. Mm. And I found, and I said to them, being their manager, 
uh, was development team, I said, I don't care where you work or when you work, but when I need to get a hold of you, I need to get a hold of you. Right. So if I want to, uh, and we did instant messaging. So I expect that when you're supposed to be working, if I IM you, you either set your status as a way or at lunch or whatever, and giving me an expectation of when I'm going to be able to get back in touch with you. Right. Or you're available, or I'm going to get frustrated. Yeah. Um, so that worked really well back okay. then, really yeah. well. Now, as, and that was sort of cutting edge. But now that it's become more familiar, I have found that it's much more fluffy, you know, in other words, much more nebulous. Right. Is the person available and they're not, and they're used to, and they have so many things, um, you know, they have SMS coming in, IMs coming in, they're not as. Right, hypersensitive to my SMS coming in or my yeah. IM coming in. Yeah, they've got they got Twitter, Facebook, text right. messages, Skype, all that competing for the same attention that you're trying to grab. Exactly, and so that's a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a good friend who manages a team that's international, and they find that and they actually have periodic, like every six months, physical get-togethers mm-hmm. where they actually fly people in from all over the world. And get together and work for a week together. Yeah, and I've heard of that more frequently with friends of mine that work for maybe in the Philippines and mm-hmm. they live in New England, and they're setting up a situation where they're flying out to the Philippines, right? You know, once once or twice a year. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I have one project that we're working with an organization in India, and mm. we're just talking with some of the people, and they're planning to send their engineer here for a week or two uh, this summer. Because okay. they want to get to know us and who we are and how we think and what our processes are. And so that would have just not been the case yeah. 20 years ago, uh, maybe even 10 years ago. Uh, so it's very important to do that. It's very important to have you know, ways of disseminating information and, and updates that we might take for granted because we're in an office. Um, and you know, things like Slack, yeah. where there's this natural recording of it all transcript help with that immensely right uh and um as you embrace that you need to embrace that knowledge sharing across time boundaries yeah yeah and are there in terms of looking forward for a virtual uh what exactly are the entrepreneurial frontiers or uh interesting opportunities for entrepreneurs within the virtual office Well, I think it allows you to do more and you could even say do more with less Okay, uh, because there are lots of really good people um, that, you know, can offshore things Mm -hmm. and you can get people to do things that you may not be able to find somebody to do here or that people might not be willing to or they might be able to do it cheaper. So it would make you to have the ability to have a more lean startup. You could. Yeah, absolutely. there's lots of opportunities for that, uh, but you do need to fundamentally change how you manage the people mm-hmm. because you just can't leave them alone or they're not going to hit your mark. Right. So you do need to check in with them. And that is a fundamental change that is very hard. Uh, and any type of change is hard, especially if you have to change. Yeah. So um, I would predicate all the virtualization happening um being the success of virtualization is that you change. I have a good friend who's, you know, started a bunch of companies, been wildly successful, but he really needs to be in the room with the people in order to, to feel like they're doing the right job and to be effective in his style. And, uh, that's not the way the world works anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, it might in certain circumstances, but you'll have an easier go of it if you virtualize. Right. 
you know, with great power comes great responsibility with, with these new opportunities, you know, even virtualizing employee has new challenges and it's really incumbent on you business owner to, to beat those challenges. Mm -hmm. It's not the person that you're, you're working with that has to beat those challenges. You need to set your expectations, give them clear mechanisms for reporting and for accountability. The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at SaviorLabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit paulparisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with copious amounts of coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pdparisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.